الحمد لله وكفى والسلام على عباده الذين اصطفى اما بعد فاعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم واتم الحج والعمرة لله سبحان ربك رب العزة اما يصفون وسلام على المرسلين والحمد لله رب العالمين اللهم صل على سيدنا محمد وعلى آل سيدنا محمد ومبارك وسلم اللهم صل على سيدنا محمد وعلى آل سيدنا محمد ومبارك وسلم تو پروفیٹ محمد صلی اللہ علیہ وسلم سے نریز بنی الاسلام علی خمسن that the deen of islam has been established on five fundamental things and it's interesting the relationship between those things number one is kalima the shahada is something that we take when we enter this deen and something that obviously is a part of us is supposed to permeate our being each and every moment each and every second that we are on this deen the second is the salah and that is something that we're supposed to pray five times a day the faraid the third is ramadan that is once a year one month in the year and zakat is something that a person number one it might not even be liable on them but if it is then it's something that they should pay out at least once a year they have the option of paying it out in installments and then the fifth thing is hajj hajj is something that allah subhanahu said that you, we have to do once in a lifetime again if we are financially able to do so uh, and if we have what we call qudrat and istita'at we have the ability and potential to go for hajj first thing let me clear up a misconception since i brought this up that being able to go to hajj does not mean that you have to have earned the money yourself if for example there's a 19 year old girl and her parents take her for hajj and this is her first trip that will be her fard hajj it's not necessary for a person to have to earn their own money they can go as a gift from their parents accompanying their parents somebody can gift them the money etc Second thing is that being able to go for a man includes that not only should does he need to have enough money to be able to go but he needs to have leave enough money behind uh, so that such that it suffices for those of his dependents that the sharia has said are his dependents so if a person has any dependents according to the sharia such people upon whom it is his duty to support them then he has to leave enough money behind for the expected duration of his trip so that they can support themselves the truth however is that when one goes for hajj one sees quite clearly even from pakistan that one meets people who from all appearances one would think that there's no way hajj could have been fard on them but they chose to come anyway and in pakistan one meets many people upon whom hajj is absolutely fard they possess the wealth and the means and the ability to go but yet either they keep delay they keep delaying and going year after year or they become so distant from allah subhanahu that their heart no longer yearns or does not desire to go for hajj so in reality although there is something called the fardiyat of hajj the the level at which hajj becomes mandatory many people go for hajj upon whom it is not mandatory and many people upon whom it is mandatory choose not to go so that means then that the ability to go for hajj the tawfiq to go for hajj is something more than merely just fardhiya now getting back to this instance of relating it to the other ibadat when you think about that hajj is something that allah subhanahu said you have to do once in a lifetime actually that does not mean it's something minor that you only have to do it once it means it's such a major event that even if you do it once in your whole lifetime it will be enough to change you for example about the prayer allah subhanahu says in the quran that inna salata tanha anil fahsha'i wal munkar that verily the prayer is sufficient to prevent you, to stave you off from 
impropriety and from that which is prohibited. However, in order to get that benefit, a person has to pray five times a day, every day of their adult life. However, Hajj is such an incredible experience, if it's done properly and done with a penitent and sincere heart, that doing it once would be sufficient, once in our whole lifetime, would be sufficient for us to get the barakat and the asrat, to get the blessings and the effects of Hajj. There are different types of worship in Islam. Some worships are bodily worships, like Salah is a worship we offer with our body. Ramadan, abstinence from lawful food, drink and relations is a worship that we offer with our body. Some types of worships are monetary worships, such as zakat, that we worship Allah subhanahu by giving money in His path, or giving the poor due that is incumbent upon us. Hajj is such a worship that it involves both the body and money. In fact, for a person who has met the bare minimum nisab upon which Hajj is farth, the amount that he would spend on Hajj or she would spend on Hajj is much more than she would have spent on zakat that year. Plus, the bodily exertion required for Hajj is much, much more than that which is required for an individual prayer or that for five prayers. So Hajj represents a pinnacle of bodily and monetary exertion and worship. Perhaps for that reason as well, out of Allah subhanahu mercy, He only mandated that we make this journey once a year. Now, one thing is the particular days of Hajj, or the particular ibadat of Hajj. There's also something that we call the season of Hajj. And that starts immediately in Shawwal, from the beginning of Shawwal right up to the end, right right up to Tenzil Hijjah. That if a person misses the day of Arafat, then the possibility for going on Hajj is taken away. So it means that there are two months and ten days. Two months and ten days completely comprise the season of Hajj. That means Allah subhanahu wa special barakat have already started. Even if there might be some of us who are unable to go this year, still we are living in a time in which the barakat of the Ashur al-Haram, the times of Hajj have already begun. So these two months and ten days are the days in which it is permissible for any person, uh, really I guess I suppose two months and nine days, where it is permissible for any person to wear ihram and to leave their home with the niyat of going on Hajj, going on the pilgrimage, to the Kaaba, to the Baytullah. In fact, the first flights have already started leaving from Pakistan. Every day, there are flights going from Pakistan. Every single day, there are people from all over the globe who are going by plane, by train, by boat, some who live close by, perhaps by car. Some Even there's still a few people left who go walking, especially from Africa. There are still people left who begin this journey on, make this journey on foot. That means every single day more and more people are flocking to that house until they, it reaches a sort of culmination of barakah that begins in Zihijjah. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, it's interesting that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, why did Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala specify these particular two months and nine or ten days? The reason is that the Mahadisin say that after the month of Ramadan ended, Allah Subhanahu wa was so happy with this Ummah, was so happy with the Mu'mineen and Mu'minat, that they abstained from even the permissible things for His sake and for His pleasure, that along with the happiness of the day of Eid, Allah Subhanahu wa then bestowed a special blessing that He sent an invitation. You can look at it like this, that when this, on the day of Eid, one gift we get from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, if you want you can say it, Allah ta'ala's Eidi, right? One gift we get from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is we get an invitation, that we are invited to the Baytullah for Hajj. And this is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's, number one, His happiness, 
And number two, his desire to bestow upon the people who successfully fasted in Ramadan, to bestow upon them something even more. His wish to bring them closer, to make them akrab, to make them even closer and closer to him. And his wish to have a more intimate relationship with them. And although we cannot meet Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in this world, it's the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that he lets, lets us present ourselves, if not before his being, but present ourselves at his home. And this is one of the most incredible distinguishing things of Islam. In fact, the truth is, I mean, if a person was to understand Hajj alone, Hajj on its own would be enough to prove the haqqaniyat or the truth, the veracity of Islam. In fact, every single thing in our deen, even a single juz, any single part of our deen, if we were to understand it properly, even that would be enough to prove the haqqaniyat or the veracity, the truth, the haqq uh, of this deen of Islam. And if you look at it, no other religion has anything like this. No other religion has a baytullah. Christians do not have a baytullah. There's a town called Bethlehem in Palestine where they might think that Sayyidina Isa al-Islam is born, but even they don't call that Baytullah or the house of God. Jews also don't have such a thing. The Wailing Wall is not their equivalent of Baytullah. It's something different. Even Buddhists. Buddhists don't even have a Baytul Buddha. <laughs> there are many temples which have many statues, but there's no one markas, there's no one central place. This Sha'an, this Imti'az, this dignity, this sharf, this honor, this distinction belongs only and only to the deen of Islam. Then if you look at this Baytullah, and we have mashallah students here today who give a whole presentation huh, for history of Islamic art on Allahu Alam what they presented. We asked them to present for us, they have yet to comply. <laughs> But the Khane Kaaba, the Kaaba itself is a fascinating building. Now one, an outsider, again if you use your akal, akal will never let you understand the deen. Akal would think that, okay, if this is the bait of Allah, if this is the house of Allah, then this should reflect the majesty of Allah, this should be some incredible structure made of marble and pearl and gold and, and who knows what. But if you look at the Kaaba, it's an extremely simple structure. The sheer simplicity of it itself is fascinating. Just a cube, basically. A small, very small cube. Very small. Almost tiny. Right? But those of us who have been there know that the power of that structure is phenomenal. And that is actually one of the signs of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That the power, the barakah of the Kaaba is not in any way dependent on any type of worldly power or worldly beauty or worldly glory such as gold or marble or pearls or being the tallest building in the world, right? That should be Baytullah, right? Being 150 stories or being so many feet wide. No, no, no. That would be getting shan or imtiaz from some worldly measurement. Allah subhanahu wa decreed that my bed, my home on earth, will be extremely simple. And rather its greatness will be due to the tajilliyat that I send upon that bed. In other words, the reason the azmat of the Kaaba is not due to its brick, or its stone, or its size, or its shape. The azmat of the Kaaba is due to the fact that it is the markazi tajilliyat, it is the place where Allah subhanahu wa sends His tajalliyat, His barakat, His fuyuzat, His anwarat. All of these words are in the Qur'an. It means that Allah subhanahu wa sends His mercies, His blessings, His graces uh, onto that particular place the most. Otherwise Allah subhanahu wa sends it everywhere. And because that is the place which gets the most of these blessings, that is the reason why we face that place in our salah. So much so that Allah forbid if anybody was to destroy that physical structure, we would still pray in that direction. Because we're not praying towards those bricks or that stone or that structure. We're praying towards that location, to that place. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala out of His mercy actually gifted Muslims with two incredible places. Two places of barakah on earth. Three places of barakah on earth. One is the Kaaba and Makkah Mukarramah. 
The second is the Rosa and Masjid Nabwi in Medina al-Manawara. And the third is Beit al-Muqaddas in Quds or in Jerusalem. These three places are places of extreme blessing and barakah. However, the maximum amount of the tajalliyat of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is going on Makkah Mukarrama. Now that is something that is not seen. You can't see that with your eyes. Whether you're looking at that manzer on the screen or whether you're there live. However, it's something that the hearts of the people who are present, if they try to tune their hearts to that, their hearts can feel it. Hajj, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mandated that we should. There are certain things in Hajj. There are certain things uh, about the rules of Hajj that itself are very revealing. So number one, for men, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said that you have to wear ihram. And it's sunnah if you would see to wear white ihram. And you would see that when it comes to ihram and kafan, both of these to wear white is sunnah. And that's why many people also prefer to wear white clothes all the time. Otherwise, technically speaking, it's permissible that if you want, you can use a black kafan. But nobody ever uses a black kafan to bury their dead. Right? So for men, Allah subhanahu wa says that you should wear two white pieces of cloth, unstitched, unhemmed. One reason for that is to level people, right? And to make all the men look exactly alike. But there's a more deeper reason than that. Because there are many, many more teachings in Islam that already suggest that irrespective of clothing, human beings are level before Allah. The only thing that distinguishes us over the other is taqwa. Inna akramakum indallahi atkakum That know that verily the most honored of you in the eyes of Allah are those who have the most taqwa. A reason for this for men is that because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants men to totally lose their own concept of themselves, to totally forget themselves, to forget what they're wearing. And therefore then the next thing which is common for men and women is that one cannot bathe with soap, one cannot apply fragrance, perfume, one cannot apply oil, one cannot cut one's nails, cut one's hair, do any type of grooming, any type of, you know, anything that has to do with our physical self. It means that this is such a momentous occasion that not only should we migrate physically from our homes, and the reason for that, what happens when we do that, is we leave behind all our worries, all our thoughts, all our preoccupations, we leave behind our daily routine. What Allah subhanahu wa wants is He wants us to migrate from our own selves as well. He wants us to forget our own selves in that journey. And so, in order to make that easy, Allah subhanahu wa made a system where the basic things that we normally care about every on a daily basis, we clean ourselves, wash ourselves, soap ourselves, oil ourselves, perfume ourselves, dress ourselves, right? Make sure our clothes are clean, etc., etc. So those things that are part are so ingrained in us that they're part of our daily regimen. Allah Taala severs us, severs us from those things because Allah Taala wants that we should be so lost in His muhammad, so lost in His yearning that we should forget about ourselves completely. So a woman, although she doesn't wear the two white pieces of clothing, her clothing doesn't change. But other than that, all of the rules of ihram also apply to her. Now you would think, now let's compare another thing. Uh, in Ramadan, a married man and woman are not allowed to have lawful relations. In ihram, a married man and woman are not even allowed to talk to one another softly. Not even allowed to speak affectionately to your spouse. Why? Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants us to completely forget that person who is the closest to us, right? From all of our relationships. To so completely forget the spouse that forget relations, you can't even speak to her or speak to him softly or affectionately. You can only speak if some need, some zarura, some necessity arises. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is cutting us off, right? From each and everything that we're normally attached to. So that when we reach this state, ultimately in Arafah, in which we become totally cut off from everything, then we naturally realize that we have truly nothing, 
And what we really have is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah alone is the truest thing that we possess, that we have, and that we are attached to. And therefore when we cut off all of our other nisbats, we cut off all of our other affiliations and attachments, then we are left empty and on a clean state, ready to be attached completely and utterly to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So that's another maqsad of hajj. Now the way Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala brings us about is ashikana. In other words, hajj is a safar of muhabbat and it's a safar of tarbiyat. In fact, the whole deen, really the khalas of the deen is these two things. Muhabba and tarbiyah. Everything in the deen is about that. Muhabba and tarbiyah. So on hajj, when we go for hajj, it's an amazing thing. That when you arrive in Makkah Mukarramah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has an amazing greeting gift waiting for you. Just on arrival. No tawaf, no sa'i, nothing, you have done nothing yet. No mina, no muzdalafa, no arafa, no lami, no throwing the stones. Just upon arrival, when you enter the court of Allah the Exalted, when you visit the home, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala immediately grants us a gift upon arrival. What is that gift that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said that when you gaze upon my home, I will accept any du'as that you make at that moment. That's my greeting gift to you. Allahu Akbar. Kabuliyat du'a. That whatever du'a a person makes when he gazes upon that home, Allah Ta'ala will accept his du'as. This is like a blank check. Right? Allah Subhanahu Ta'ala upon arrival gives us a blank check. You can write there, Absolutely. Very nazarme. Right? We haven't even done anything yet. Nothing. Not even kissed Hajjah Not even drank Zamzam. Nothing has been done yet. Isper to let you know for those of you inshallah, inshallah ta'ala, all of us have need to go. Either we have need to go for the first time for Farz Hajj or we have need to go over and over again to continually get these Barakat and these Anwarat. So know that the first case of the Kaaba, Muhaddathin have said that everybody agrees that if a person goes for the first time in their life, and sees the Kaaba for the first time in their life, then that is a moment of kubulit and du'a. I myself, my own tabiat was I never liked to look at pictures or videos of the haram, of the Kaaba, or of Medina Manawara before I went. Many of us have probably seen so many of these things, that the impact probably is not as much as it was for people who never knew what it looked like, right? I mean, and Photography started when? In 1950? Roughly. So the vast majority of Muslims had no idea what the Kaaba even looked like. So you can imagine that for them, what an experience it was when they went to see it. Most of us, due to media and technology, have become all too familiar with uh, what the Kaaba looks like. But still, even then when we go, seeing it live in person is still something very different. Second thing is that in addition to the very first time you go, the majority of Muhaddathin say that every suffer that you make, every time you go to the Kaaba and make a mustakil journey to go there, then that suffer also will be like a first case. So if you go on Umrah, that's the first case. You go on Hajj, you go next year on Umrah. All of these, every time you go, the first time you present yourself to the Kaaba on, on any journey, counts as that first gaze in which Allah Ta'ala accepts our du'a. Then if you make a suffer, a shari suffer, from even within Saudi Arabia, for example, on that same trip you go to Medina Manawra, and then after Medina Manawra you choose to go back to Makkah Mukarramah, then that is also a suffer, and that will also be a first gaze. The other thing is that many people think that the first gaze means the first blink. That's not necessarily true. Certainly before you blink once, that is certainly a very special moment. But a person should continue to make du'a even after they blink. And a person, it's a general usul in du'a, especially in Haramein Sharifan, but a general principle in du'a anytime, any place you are, that you should make du'a as long as your heart feels like making du'a. The second your heart stops feeling like making du'a, or your heart becomes ghafil, your heart starts thinking about something of this world, 
then the adab is to stop. If you wish, you can try to revert your attention back to Allah. And if you're successful and that feeling comes up within you again, then you can continue in du'a. But if you're unable to do that and you find that your feelings have dropped, then the adab of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is that we should stop our making our du'a at such a point. In other words, a person should look at the Kaaba and make du'a as much as they want. But once she feels that her feelings have gone down and she's getting tired, then she should not taqalluf and keep reciting more and more du'as or all types of du'as that she prepared or all types of du'as that people asked her to make. She should stop that du'a at that moment. And later on, once once again she has a feeling, a jazba, a feeling of yearning, a feeling of pleading, of pleading to Allah, calling upon Allah, begging from Allah, entreating Allah. Once that feeling comes back, then she should make du'a again. So the first thing that happens then is when one arrives is one sees the Kaaba. Then a person goes for Tawaf. And the first thing in Tawaf, I'm not teaching you the fiqh of Hajj. I'm just going to be talking about some specific events that happen. I'm going to be leaving out a few other things that do need to be done. The second thing, major thing that happens is a person, this istilam of hajar aswad Now hajar aswad is a stone from Jannah that was originally white. And it has become black due to the sins of humanity. And it comes in a hadith, the Prophet said that the Hajr Aswad, when you make istilam of the Hajr Aswad, either you're able to do, kiss it yourself, which is very difficult to do, or, and almost impossible for women, <laughs> almost impossible for women, unless sometimes there is a guard who tells all the men to go to one side. But when he does that, the women fight with one another much more than even the men do. So it's very difficult to kiss the Hajar Aswad without pushing or shoving. So our ulama and mashayikh say that one should not do that. It's better to do istilam from a distance, which means to make ishara, to signal towards the Hajar Aswad, and then to kiss your palms. Okay? The Prophet some said in Deith that that kissing of the palms is equivalent to is equivalent to shaking Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's hand. It's like musafa. Musafa. Right? Sayyidina Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu has a very famous saying that he once addressed to Hajar Aswad and said, Oh Hajar Aswad, you were but a stone. I would never have kissed you except for that it was the sunnah of my beloved messenger sallallahu to kiss you. So here's the tarbiyat also. That we are being trained to do ittiba'i sunnah. That's another reason why we kiss Hajar Aswad. It's izar of our muhabbat, because when we go to the home of the beloved, that is a journey suffer of muhabbat. Then to kiss the hand or to shake the hand of a beloved, that is also an izhar of muhabbat. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala made it that way. That I will greet you by accepting your du'as when you gaze upon the Kaaba, and then you'll greet me by kissing or doing isti'lam to my Hajar Aswad. However, the tarbiyat aspect of this is ittiba'i sunnat. Right, that we will follow each and everything that the Prophet said. And all of Hajj, right? All of the detailed explanations on how to do Hajj, none of it is in the Quran. All of it is in the Sunnah. Right? That's the next thing a person does. Another day the Prophet said that when a person does isti'lam, the Hajr Aswad will testify to the, on the Day of Judgment as to the state of the person's heart when they made isti'lam. So we should be very careful not to make that istilam in such a state that our heart is ghafil. But instead our heart should be zakir, our heart should be thinking about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala at that moment of istilam. Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala makes us do a very ashikana ibadat, which is tawaf, chakra lagana, to circumambulate the Kaaba once, twice, seven times to walk around, right? This is an act of love, right? That we love our beloved so much, that we love his home so much, that we're so happy just to be present in such a place, that we, we circumambulate, we make rounds around it as an act of love, as an act of worship. Just like the moth makes rounds around the candle flame. So we make tawaf around the Kaaba. And this is that unique ibadah that cannot be done anywhere else in the world. You can pray Salah anywhere, read Quran anywhere, make istighfar, send to salawat, make du'a, make zikr, make muraqabah. But tawaf is something that is unique to Makkah Mukarramah. 
And when a person is doing tawaf, again, what are we doing tawaf around? We're doing tawaf around the structure, yes. Plus we're also doing tawaf around the tajalliyat that Allah SWT is sending on that structure. It's like a huge, you can imagine almost like a magnetism. Like a magnetic sort of field. And that magnetic force or magnetic attraction. And so we keep getting pulled in as we go around. Right? And that, the tarbiyat in that is that our whole life should rotate and should revolve around the deen. Even in English you have that statement, right? That mahavara, that idiom, that phrase, that wave of expression. Or my, our whole life should center, the center, the epicenter of our life is the deen. Right? So you have the center of a circle and then a person keeps walking around that circle, walking around the center. So the center of our, the focus of our life, the markas of our life, our life will revolve around the center, the be-all and end-all of our life is the deen, is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Or is these tajalliyat, that this is my job on earth, to get as many barakat of Allah into my life, to get as many rahmatay of Allah ta'ala into my heart. That is the maqsad of my life. So to reorient, this is a reorientation going on during tawaf. While doing tawaf, a person should be making dua and zikr. And this is also something that many times some people in Pakistan misunderstand. That there are certain books in which duas are written. Some people in Pakistan only read those duas. Others say you should not read those duas at all. They are bidat. Both are two positions that are two extremes and both are incorrect. The correct, the correct position is that the du'as in those books, yes, they are not the du'as of the Prophet ﷺ. They are du'as by different ulama, mufassirun, muhaddithun, fuqaha, mashayikh, izam, who at that place made certain du'as that either their students recorded or they themselves wrote down later for the sake of their students. To recite them is permissible and to recite them for many people is preferable or is beneficial because they express the feeling that you yourself will be feeling at that moment. But you won't, you will be so overwhelmed that you won't know how to express your feelings into words. And you won't know how to address Allah subhanahu in dua. So it's a good idea to sort of jumpstart yourself with the duas that are written in those books. But even those duas are not enough to last all seven rounds. So then what a person should do is they should do two things. Number one, is that they should make dua munasib to the maqam. So for example, the first thing is hajar aswad So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, just like this stone became blackened due to the sins of humanity, Ya Allah, I have also brought the black stone, the hajar aswad of my heart, here to Makkah Makarama. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, I'm asking you, I'm begging you, that through this action of tawaf, through these a'mal of umrah and hajj, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you forgive me for my sins, that you purify my heart, you cleanse my heart of the blackness and the hardness that has come into it due to my sins and my ghafla. So we should make this dua when we are in muqabil to the hajr aswad. Then the next thing that comes in the round is the babi kaaba the door of the glorious home of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So we should make dua to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Ya Allah, in this world you brought me all the way to the bab of your door, the bab of your Kaaba. This is only your mercy, your barakah. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, since you have brought me this far, Allah ta'ala, I ask you to open up for me the doors of your hidayah, the doors of your rahmah, the doors of your maghfirah, the doors of your barakah. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, just as you brought me sahi salim to the bab of your Kaaba, Allah ta'ala bring me to the abwaab jannah on your al-qiyamah. Right? So to make dua munasib to the maqam. The next thing that you will see there is maqam ibrahim When you pass maqam ibrahim a person should make dua that is related to Sayyidina Ibrahim alayhi salam. That Ya Allah, for example, just like you accepted Sayyidina Ibrahim salam for the khidmat of your deen, just like you accepted him to build your home on earth, Allah Ta'ala, I ask you to give me the ability to also build your masjid on earth. Right? Allah Subhanahu Wa just like you gave Sayyidina Ibrahim salam two sons, Ismail and Ishaq, alayhima salam. 
who helped their father in the khidmat of the deen, Allah Ta'ala, I ask you to give me children who help me or whom are my mu'awan in the deen. Allah Ta'ala, just like you gave Sayyidina Ibrahim Alayhi sons from amongst the Anbiya, Allah Ta'ala, I ask you to give me sons amongst the Sulaha, Awliya. Then when you round the next corner, there is a place called Mizab Rahma, which is the mm, rain spout, the Parnala of mercy. So a person should make lots of du'as at that time of Allah's mercy. That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, surely I have brought with myself a mountain of sins, but they are insignificant compared to the infinite oceans of your mercy. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, I ask you as I passed in front of this mizab rahmat that you drown me in your infinite mercy, that you wash away all my sins in your infinite mercy. And then when you round that next corner, your intention should be that you are making toba and that you are turning away, rounding the corner away from your sins, and you're, you should have husnizan, and you should feel that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has accepted my du'as, and He has washed away all of my sins as I round this corner. And I round this corner a completely changed and cleansed person. So here, these are some of the things that du'as a person can make in du'af, and in general a person is to make lots of dhikr in du'af. Then after the tawaf is finished, then a person goes pray two rakats wajib tawaf. Two rakats, these are wajib, and they should be prayed in the haram. Two rakats wajib tawaf. Then, after that, we drink the water of zamzam. So we're always surprised how few people know these things. Zamzam, first of all, is the name of a well. The very famous story, right, that Amma Hajra radiallahu ta'ala anha was alone with her baby, baby Ismail alayhi salam and she was running back and forth from these two hills called Safa and Marwa searching for water and also running back and forth just in a state uh, of perhaps worry. At that point, during that sa'i of hers her baby Ismail alayhi salam banged his heels against the ground like babies do, they kicked their heels when he kicked his heels against the ground, water started to gush forth. That is the well, or the spring, rather, of Zamzam. So much water gushed forth, so much water gushed forth, that Amma Hajarata, when she saw it, she was worried that there would be a flood. So she looked at the water and she said, Zamzam, which means Roko. <laughs> bas, bas. Right? It's enough in the uh, Aramaic or Hebrew language. So that is the name, uh, the, the reason why that well and the water that comes from that that spring and the water that comes from that spring is known as Zamzam. Zamzam is the second most afdal water created by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The most afdal water is the Ma'e Hose Kothar. The water from the Hose Kothar that all of us hope to drink from the hands of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam on the Day of Judgment. So when one drinks Zamzam, that's the one du'a a person should make. There's a Musnoon du'a that a person should recite. And that is for Ilman Nafi'an, Burrizkan Wasi'an, Wishifa'am Min Kulli Da'in. Allah Ta'ala, I ask you to grant me number one, Ilman Wasi'an, Burrizkan Wasi'an, Ilman Nafi'an, Broad Risk, Beneficial Knowledge, and Shifa'am Min Kulli Da'in, and a Cure, from each and every type of illness. That's the only du'a, almost almost the only du'a that you will find in the hadith. After that, you are there. This is your job. You are, your job in Hajj and Umrah, our job, is to make du'a. Is to do tirbiyat of ourselves, to make us people, people of du'a. So one du'a is to make the Allah subhanahu wa just as you granted me, only through your mercy and generosity, the ability to drink zamzam in this world, I ask you to let me drink from the ma, from the water of the Hosea Kothar, from the hands of the Prophet on the Day of Judgment. Allah subhanahu just as you've quenched my thirst with Zamzam now, I ask you to quench my, keep my thirst quenched on the Day of Judgment. Allah subhanahu for every drop of Zamzam grant me an ocean of knowledge, an ocean of ma'rifa. For every drop of Zamzam bestow or shower upon me an ocean of your rahmah and wash away my sins. Right? For every drop of Zamzam I drink, grant me an ocean of taqwa, 
an ocean of ubudiyah, an ocean of ikhlas. There's so many du'as a person can make. One du'a that you should make here and at all the other places is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala on this occasion, whatever du'as that, that Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam the Anbiya, the Sahaba, Tabi'in, 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 Mufassirin, Muhaddisin, Fuqaha, Sufiya, whatever du'as they made at this moment, or at this place, that are munasib in my haq, Allah Ta'ala, I ask you to grant me those du'as as well. We won't even know what du'as we just got when we said that, right? Another du'a you can make when you drink Zamzam. Another thing about Zamzam, which again, very, we're always amazed how few people know, People are still learning these things. Hmm? That Zamzam is the juta or is the leftover water of the Prophet ﷺ. Once Rasulullah was near the well of Zamzam and he lowered a drinking vessel into the well. He drank from some of the water and then he lowered that vessel back into the well with his leftover water which then became mixed in all of the water of the well. And because Zamzam is one of the miracles of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that is infinitely flowing. Even to the statement, Zamzam itself is enough of a proof of the deen. That millions and millions of gallons have been coming out for so many years. Today, though it's even transported to Medina Manawara, people come and take so many gallons home with them, and still the well doesn't show any, the spring does not show any sign, right, of fading away. So this was Rasulullah's mercy. This is why he is Rahmatul Alameen. Actually all we have to do is make ourselves amongst the Alameen and view ourselves as humble creation and immediately we get Rabbul Alameen and Rahmatul Alameen. So this is one of the mercies of the Prophet that Zamzam water is his leftover. Then a person goes for Sa'i. Actually what I'm really telling you now is Umrah. I have not even yet gotten to the Maksus of all of Hajj. A person goes for Sa'i, so very briefly a person then travels between Safa and Marwa seven times. These are also places in which a person should make du'a, lots of du'a, and make zikr. And a person should stop at Safa and Marwa at the end of every uh, circuit and stop there and make du'a on Safa and on Marwa. One should not just go continuously. Many people think that they should just stop at the end. It's sunnah to stop it at the end of every circuit, which will mean four times in Safa and three times in Marwa. I'd say it would be really eight times total, four each, because you would make du'a at the beginning and at the end as well. So four times in Safa, four times in Marwa. The actual maksus afal of hajj, let's say a person, they're what we call, they're different types of hajj. This is hajjit that I'm describing, which a person does umrah first, then breaks their ihram. Then you live like a normal plain clothes person in Makkah Makarama. And then a person goes and then puts on another ihram and then goes to Mina. So we first go to Mina, we spend some time there, and then from there we go to Arafat. Asal Hajj is all about Yomul Arafah. This is the real, this is that thing which is farz, absolutely farz, to the Rukne Asli of Hajj. If a person misses Arafat, there's nothing they can do, no dam, no animal sacrifice, no expiation, no compensation, nothing. They'll have to make up, they have to perform that Hajj again next year. And this Hajj will not count. The day of Arafat is an incredible day. We're really one is reminded of the Day of Judgment. So many people are assembled. And this is a day where you will feel naturally. A person would feel totally alone, right? By now they've been conditioned. They've even left the comfort of their hotel. They've been living in tents in Mina. They've come to this place in Arafah. There's a tent there. You're standing out in the field. You're completely severed from your home, from your belongings, from your past. Nothing is there. And sometimes it's very good to be in such a state when we become totally disconnected from everything so that we can ultimately, perfectly, completely connect ourselves to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That's what's supposed to happen on the day of Arafat. And that is a day of dua, a day of toba, a day of istighfar. And those of us who have been know that when Maghrib passes, you feel an incredible lightness of being. You feel that an incredible burden has been lifted from your shoulders. 
you really feel as if Allah Ta'ala has made us, as the Prophet said, like a newborn baby. Like a baby who is newly born from his or her mother's womb. Right? After that, in that lightness of being, the tanbiyah continues. It's not that. Hajj is maksus afalar, just begun. Then you go to Muzdalafa for a short period of time. Again, I'm really abbreviating things because of shortage of time. You go to Muzdalafa, spend a bit of time there, and then you come back to Mina. Mina, you stay for about two to three days. And then you go for this process called Rami. Rami means to throw stones, to cast stones on these three shayateen, or these three pillars that represent shaitan. So again, if you were to think and use your akal, it wouldn't make sense. If this is shaitan, why should I throw a pebble? I should be throwing a boulder. I should be bombing this place, right? If I have shaitan in front of me, why would I throw a little pebble, right? So throwing the pebble really is just a act. It's a kinai, it's a metaphorical act. Just to do tawheen, uh, or to um, show our disgust and to reprimand or to hurt shaitan in some way. So we cast these pebbles at shaitan, at these different shayateen, these what we call jamarat, which are these three pillars, uh, one after the other. So we should think, and again, this is also a place for du'a. So we should make du'a that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, just like you enabled me here to cast pebbles on shaitan, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and you made me openly declare my enmity towards him, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, make my heart be forever his enemy. Make my nafs be his enemy as opposed to his friend or inside spy. So this is also a place to make du'a. And a person has to go and do this at least two, some cases, three days. After that, then a person does qurbani, offers an animal sacrifice, which is not for Eid, but is what we call dami shukr, which is out of gratitude at being able to complete the arkan of hajj. Then a person also will go for tawaf ziyarah, and will also have to do a sa'i. So that we've already explained in the context of the umrah. And basically, after that, these are all the maksus of Al of Hajj. It takes place in four to five days. And in these four to five days, Allah Ta'ala has put so much power, so much barakah, that it's so powerful that if we do it right, it's sufficient for our whole lifetime. But again, the essence of Hajj is mahabbat. The essence of Hajj is that is a very ashikana journey. Afterwards, most people will go afterwards. A person goes to Medina Munawwara for Ziyara. Medina Munawwara is also an incredible place. And the Rodha of the Prophet being there is also incredible. And in some ways this is more awe-inspiring than Makkah The reason being is that Allah's awareness of us is everywhere. Allah is aware of us in this room. Allah's is aware of us at home. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is obviously aware of us when we're in the Kaaba. But when you go to Medina Munawwara and you present yourselves in front of the Rosa, well, there Rasulullah wasallam is aware of the people who present themselves in front of him. He's not aware of them at other times. So the Prophet is not aware of us right now directly. When you send salawat, the Prophet here doesn't hear it directly. The angels carry it to him. However, when you go in front of the Rodha, it's like basically a student presenting herself in front of her teacher. And this is really a very humbling experience because we have to realize what terrible students we are. How really we have not in any way, how completely and utterly we have failed to live up to the legacy of the Prophet how we have failed to live up to his expectation, his desire for us. One would imagine that when we go there, the Prophet would be stunned to see us. He would think that you, you're the person I used to cry for in Tanjit. You were that Ummah that I offered my own life for at Badr. You were that Ummah for which my uncle Hamza, radiallahu ta'ala anhu, was martyred and his liver was eaten so that this deen would be preserved for you. This is what you do with that deen? This is the shakal that you have brought to me. 
So when a person goes in front of the Rodha, a person is terrified. Really this is... Uh, only those who have been there can understand a person is terrified. Allah Akbar. That who are we, right? To present ourselves before the Prophet ﷺ. Who are we to dare to offer our salam? As-salamu alayka ya Rasulullah. But this is the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allahu Akbar. And that's why it's better to go to Makkah Mukarama first. There are some people in Pakistan who they think it's more ish to go to Medina. They're completely wrong. <laughs> one should go to Makkah Mukarama first. And this should want to be one of the major du'as that we make in Tawaf, in Sa'i, one of the major du'as we make in Arafah, and Mina, and Muzdalafa. But Ya Allah, I ask you to forgive me if for no other reason than I know I'm, you know as well as I do that I'm going to go to Medina Marawara after these days. And if I go there in a state in which you have not forgiven me, then the Apostle Son will be displeased by my presence. He will be hurt by my presence. I don't want the filth of my sins to hurt him in any way. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, I ask you, out of your love for your beloved Messenger Wasallam, to forgive me, to purify me, to cleanse me, so that I may present myself in the road in Medina Manawla. So this is a major dua that a person should make throughout those different places in Hajj. It's a very strange experience going in front of the Rosa. And yet it's a smang, 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 how many girls view themselves like that? If a girl viewed herself as amongst the binat and nabi, there are many things that she does that she'd stop doing. اچھا وہاں میں یہ بہت ضروری ہے کہ وہاں سلام اس وقت تک پڑھیں جب تک آپ کے ذہن اور قلب حاضر ہو جیسے آپ کا دل غافل ہونا تکلفاً مزید سلام نہیں پڑھنا The second that your heart becomes غافل you should take your leave and politely leave the rosa One should not stand there in a state of غفلت One should not stand there thinking all types of thoughts stray thoughts or even worse sinful thoughts one should stand there in a state of complete poise and attention and humility and reverence for the Prophet ﷺ. Here the ulama write that a person should also recite the kalima at the roza by using the following formula, Ashadu an la ilaha illallahu wa ashadu annaka muhammadan abduhu rasulam that I bear witness that there is no being where they worship for Allah. And I bear witness that you, Ya Rasulullah that you were Allah's last and final messenger, that you are His slave and messenger. That way that the Prophet can do gavahi of our iman, that he can himself testify to our iman on the Day of Judgment. Then a person can ask for the shifa. Then a person should make dua to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that Ya Allah, you brought me all the way here, Allah Ta'ala hum aap se khair hi ka umid rakhte Allah Ta'ala aap baat rahi mein baat kari mein Surely aap ne mujhe itni dhur ne lai karayin Ke aap mujhe kiamat ke din Rasulullah Sallam ki shifa se mehroom karenge That we should make dua to Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala After visiting the roda That Allah Ta'ala grant us the mayyat of Rasulullah Sallam On the day of judgment that we be able to recognize him on the day of judgment, that we not be raised amongst those who have, who are raised blind due to their inability to follow the deen, and that the Prophet Sallallahu recognizes us on the day of judgment. How sad would that person be on the day of judgment that the Prophet is walking doing shifa and he passes over us because he doesn't recognize us. So this is not the way my daughter was supposed to dress. This is not the way my daughter was supposed to look.
this is not the heart that my daughter was supposed to bring. It just passes by us. There would be no, there will be no greater sadness for a believer on that day, except the moment of that passing by. So it should be our deep du'a to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, there as well as here. These are not only du'as to be made there. That Rasulullah, Ya Allah, let us recognize, and most important, let us be recognized by Rasulullah sallallahu on that day. And Allah ta'ala, if you brought us here, and we are drinking zamzam in front of the roza, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, surely it means that you will allow us to drink the water of the house of in front of your beloved Messenger Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam on the Yawm Al-Qiyamah. Then a person should make true tawbah at that moment for our inability and our failure to act according to the sunnah, to internalize the sunnah, to carry forth the prophetic mission, to share this deen with other people. So many things we should make dua for, repent for not doing, and make dua to Allah Subhanahu to grant us that ability. Yeah, other, in addition to that also, is the visitation of Sayyidina Abu Bakr Siddiq radiallahu ta'ala anhu and Sayyidina Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu. That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has put the two of them right there, next to the Prophet itself is an incredible sign. Ye ek kubuliyat ki alamat hai. Or jo in dono ka inkar karta hai na, wo actually Allah rabbul zizat ka hukam ka inkar kar rahe. But oh, this is a very incredible place to be in. Many, many more things could be said about Medina Manawara, Riyadh al-Jannah, many incredible things Allah tells. But another thing, no other deen has this. The Christians do not have a place that they can say is heaven on earth. The Jews do not have heaven on earth. The Buddhists do not have a place of their nir- little nirvana on earth. Allah ta'ala, kya shan diye When you go to Hariman Sharifan, you realize that waqi Allah ta'ala, آپ ہی رب کہنے کے لائق ہیں آپ ہی معبود ہونے کے لائق ہیں آپ ہی اس شان رکھتے ہیں کہ ہم اپنی ساری عبادات ساری تمنائیں سارے امیدیں آپ ہی کے ساتھ باندھیں اتنے کریم پروردگار اتنے کریم پروردگار اپنا گھر بلایا گھر دکھایا گھر بنایا اپنی جنت کے ایک ٹکڑا ہمیں عنایت فرمایا رسول اللہ علیہ وسلم کی زیارت کی بھی توفیق دی the Christians cannot make ziyara of Isa al-Islam. Khair, we believe that Isa al-Islam is alive with Allah, but even though they believe he is dead, unke paas ye hai nahi ye cheez. Jews don't have this from Musa al-Islam. Buddhists don't have this from Buddha. Ye hamare deen-e-Islam ki kitne, yani kitna husan hai, kitna kamal hai, ki hamare deen ke andar ye aisi jaga hai, makkum akarama madinna manubra. Allah ta'ala hum sab kum bar bar harameen sharifin ki ziyarat ta firma. قبولیت اور اپنی رضا کے ساتھ لے جائیں جو خوش نصیب لوگ حج کے لئے جا رہے ہیں اللہ تعالیٰ ان سب کے حج کو قبول فرمائے روز کتنے لوگ نکل رہے ہیں اس نعرہ محمد کے ساتھ لبیک اللہم لبیک یہ بھی محبت یہ بھی تربیت لبیک اللہم لبیک لبیک اللہ شریک اللہ لبیک کہ رب کریم میں حاضر ہوں میں آپ ہی کہوں میں بہت دور سے آئے ہوں بہت دیر سے آئے ہوں یا رب کریم میں آپ کے در پر پہنچا لا شریک اللہ اب میری محبت میری طلب میری مقصد یا اللہ آپ کے علاوہ کوئی نہیں ہے میں ایک مقصد لے کر اپنے گھر سے نکل رہا ہوں آپ کے یہ لباس سے محبت عاشقانہ لباس یہ نعرہ محبت لے کر میں آ رہا ہوں ان الحمدہ اللہ تعالیٰ واقعی آپ اتنے کریم کہ آپ نے مجھے بلایا تمام تعریف آپ جیسے کریم پروردگار کے لئے ونعمت تمام شکر آپ کے لئے ان الحمدہ ونعمت لکم الملک اللہ تعالیٰ تعریف آپ کے لئے ہے شکر آپ کے لئے ہے یہ ہوا محمد ولک الملک اللہ تعالیٰ آپ ہی میرے دل کی مالک ہیں میرے دن میرے رات کی مالک ہیں میرے پوری زندگی کی مالک ہے یہ ہوا تنبیت لا شریک الک تو اصل توحید کا سبق بھی اسی حج کے اندر ہوتا ہے اللہ تعالی ہم سب کو اس توحید کا سبق اس محبت اس دین کے اندر جو محبت 
تربیت اور توحید ہم سب کو عطا فرمائے وہ آخر sahabiyat Ya Allah, we have voluntarily orphaned ourselves from our deen, from our tradition. Ya Rabbi Kareem, Ya Allah, we have wronged no one but our own selves. Ya Allah, we turn to you in tawbah. We turn to you in repentance. Ya Allah, we ask you to forgive us for our sins, forgive us for our transgressions. Ya Allah, if you do not shower your mercy upon us, if you do not shower your maghfirah, your forgiveness upon us, lanakoonanna mina khasireen. Ya Allah, we will be amongst the lost ones. Ya Allah, if you let us go astray, there will be no being to guide us. Ya Allah, if you forgive us not, there is no one else who can forgive us. Ya Rabbi Kareem, Ya Allah, we ask for your hidayah. We ask you to guide us on this deen. We ask you to guide us to the Sirat al-Mustaqeem. We ask you to guide us to the true people of this deen. Ya Allah, we ask you to guide us to the Sadiqeen and the Siddiqeen. Ya Rabbi Kareem, we ask you to grant us the company of the Salihin. Ya Rabbi Kareem, Ya Allah. Ya Allah, we ask you to adorn us with all of the sifat of the mu'mineen and mu'minat. Ya Allah, make us amongst the zakirin. Ya Allah, make us amongst the sabirin, mutawakkilin, muttaqeen, mu'mineen, muhsineen, tawabeen, awabeen, musalleen. Ya Rabbi Kareem, Ya Allah, we ask you to adorn us with each and every one of the attributes of the mu'mineen and mu'minat mentioned in the Qur'an al-Kareem. Ya Allah, increase us in our ilm of the Qur'an, increase us in our ilm of the deen. Ya Allah, save us from all the fitness of this time, save us from the fitness from outside of Islam, and Ya Allah, save us from all of the fitness that are rising from within Islam. Ya Rabbi Kareem, empower of us with strength of iman, with depth of taqwa, Ya Allah, with ikhlas in our niyyah, Ya Allah, increase us in our a'mal, increase us in our ilm, increase us in our ikhlas. Ya Rabbi Kareem, grant us ilm of the Qur'an, grant us ilm of the ma'ani and the ma'arif of the Qur'an. Ya Allah, make us amal of the Qur'an, alim of the Qur'an, ashik of the Qur'an, arif of the Qur'an. Ya Allah, make us hamil of the Qur'an. Ya Allah, increase us in our love and knowledge for the sunnah of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Make us alim of the ma'ani of the sunnah, the ma'arif of the sunnah, the maqasid of the sunnah. Ya Allah, make us an alim of the sunnah, an arif of the sunnah, an ashik of the sunnah, an amil on the sunnah. Ya Allah, make us a hamil of the sunnah. Ya Rabbi Kareem, let us drown ourselves and drench ourselves in those things that earn your pleasure. Ya Allah, from the tips of our hair to the soles of our feet, Ya Allah, we ask you to bring us unto the Qur'an, Sunnah, and Sharia. Ya Allah, each and everything that brings your pleasure, Ya Allah, let that be the most pleasing thing to our hearts. And Ya Allah, those things that incur your displeasure, Ya Allah, incline our hearts away from them. Ya Allah, keep us away from the people of sin, from the gatherings of sin, from the thoughts of sin, from the memories of sin. Ya Allah, grant us good and noble company. Ya Allah, grant us company that brings us to you and save us from that company that distracts us from you. Ya Rabbi Kareem, Ya Allah, we ask you to give us strength of power, increase us in our quwwata iradi, increase us in our will power and our determination. Ya Allah, many of us have nothing but our own laziness to blame. Ya Allah, we ask you to enable us to overcome our laziness. Ya Allah, we ask you to grant us the lazat of this deen. Let us experience the lazat of iman. Let us taste the sweetness and pleasure of ibadat, the sweetness and pleasure of tilawa, the sweetness and pleasure of salah, the sweetness and pleasure of dhikr. Ya Allah, Ya Rabbi Kareem. Ya Allah, we ask you to increase us in our love for you. Allahumma inna nas'aluka hummaka wa humma man yuhimbak wa humma Ya Allah, we ask you to increase us in our love for you and our love for your beloved messenger and our love for those who love you and our love for those who are beloved to you and our love for those who are beloved to your messenger Ya Allah, we ask you to increase us in our love for those actions, those feelings, those statements that bring us closer to you and we ask you to disincline our hearts from those actions, feelings and statements that draw us away from you Ya Allah, we ask you to forgive us for all of our sins 
Forgive us for our sins that we committed in the past. Forgive us for the sins that we persist with in the present. Forgive us for the sins that we commit in the future. Forgive us for the hurt that we've caused to ourselves. Ya Allah, forgive us for the hurt that we may have caused one another. Ya Rabbi Kareem, if we have ever hurt anyone, Ya Allah, we ask you to fulfill their rights upon us. Ya Allah, we make dua for them. Ya Allah, in exchange for this dua, we ask that you shower their lives with barakah, that you send your rahmah upon them, that you increase them in your mahabbah and increase them in your ta'luk. Ya Rabbi Kareem, we ask you to guide all of us. Ya Allah, to grant us the best type of guidance, grant us the most greatest type of guidance, the guidance on the Salat al-Mustaqeem. Ya Allah, Ya Rabbi Kareem Ya Allah, throughout the world So many of your sincere believing men and women Are leaving for your house Each and every moment of each and every day Ya Rabbi Kareem, we ask you To grant a share in their du'as To grant us a share in their barakat Ya Allah, we ask you to enable us to live our life as well According to Labaik, Allahumma Labaik Ya Rabbi Kareem, we ask you to accept all of their hajjas To grant them the hajjah mabrur To grant them the hajjah mashkur Ya Allah, to accept all of their hajjas, their umrahs To accept each and every Every one of their tawafs, each and every one of their sa'is, each and every one of their ramis, each and every one of their du'as in the Yom Al-Arafah, and to grant us a share in those barakat. Rabbana takambal minna, ya Allah, we ask you to grant each and every one of us the ability to go to Hariman Sharifan over and over again. Ya Allah, we ask you to grant us ability to go for the ziyarah of your beloved Messenger, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Rabbana takambal minna, innaka anda samir alim. وَتُبُوا لَيْنَا إِنَّكَ أَنْتَ التَّوَابُ الرَّحِيمُ وَصَلَّى اللَّهُ تَعَالَى عَلَى حَبِيبِهِ سَيْدُنَا مُحَمَّدْ وَعَلَى آلِهِ وَأَصْحَابِهِ أَجْمَعِينَ بِرَحْمَتِكَ يَا أَرْحَمَ الرَّاحِمِينَ